Hi, fellow cannibals. I'm TechCrunch Managing Editor Daryl Etherington, and you're listening to the TechCrunch Podcast, where we cover everything you need to know about eating other humans. No, actually, that's on this week we do, but usually we just cover the week's top stories in tech from the people who wrote them, and we're doing that again today. And this week, Paul Sowers comes on to tell us about the company that is bringing back woolly mammoths. Well, their meat, at least. And Amanda Silverling explains how the Balenciaga Pope AI image fooled us all. But before we get into that, I'll go over this week's top stories in tech. Sam Bankman-Fried, a.k.a. SBF, isn't done being charged with new crimes yet. His latest is an accusation of having bribed at least one Chinese government official to the tune of at least $40 million. The bribes were allegedly meant to unfreeze crypto assets held by Alameda that had been frozen given the country's legal stance against crypto. Check out more from Jackie Melanick and Alex Wilhelm on TC. The world's largest crypto exchange and its CEO have been sued by the U.S. Commodities and Futures Regulator. The CFTC sued Binance and Changpeng Zhao this week, alleging that the exchange and its leadership broke rules in place regarding trading and derivatives. Specifically, it was accused of ignoring key guidelines in place to detect and prevent money laundering, the funding of terrorism, and additional similar crimes. Jackie Melanick has more on TechCrunch. OpenAI's ChatGPT has some new capabilities, a lot of new capabilities, in fact. The AI company revealed that it's launching plugins for its generative AI chatbot, allowing it to access third-party sources of information. This is a developer tool that could greatly expand the utility of ChatGPT for users. A particular interest is a first-party plugin created by OpenAI that allows ChatGPT to comb the internet for answers to questions. More on TC from Kyle Wiggers. Microsoft is looking at ways it could put ads into the responses provided by Bing Chat, its AI search agent. Bing Chat leverages OpenAI's GPT-4 to provide its answers. This is still an experiment, but it shows how big tech companies are thinking about monetizing emergent tech like generative AI assistance. Again, Kyle Wiggers has more on TechCrunch about this. Twitter has revealed its new API product and pricing. The company now offers three tiers, including a bare-bones free plan. The free plan is generally meant to be used by simple bots that capture and post stuff on the social network. The middle tier is $100 per month and is intended for, quote, hobbyists and students, while there's an enterprise tier that's reportedly upwards of $42,000 per month. This tiering greatly disadvantages small and medium-sized developers looking to incorporate tweets and Twitter data into their product. More on TechCrunch from Yvonne Meta. Okay, with that out of the way, let's talk to some of our illustrious and genteel TechCrunch writers. First up, Paul Sars is here to talk to us about lab-grown woolly mammoth meatballs. Hey, Paul, how's it going? It's going just fine. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And thanks for coming on to talk about this, I think, bonkers is the appropriate word, story. <laughs> I mean... Yeah, I've, I've been struggling to come up with a better word this week. But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, as soon as you see it, you're just like, WTF. You know, yeah. what, the, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, this can't so be true. So what the hell is going on here, Paul? So basically, the top line that I'm going to put it the way that I understand it is a company is making woolly mammoth meatballs. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping they took the hairs out of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's that's what it is. Although the top line is an Australian company. They're called Vow. They're a, a cultured meat company, which means that they create meat in a lab from animal cells, which doesn't involve having to kill any animals. So okay. that's what they do. And they received a lot of funding to do that for, I think it's like quails and other animals. But um, now it's saying it's created a meatball out of a woolly mammoth. Right. And obviously, how can they do that if it's been, you know, dead for like 
6,000 years or something like that. And to do so, they identified what's known as a myoglobin, which is kind of like a protein that gives meat its color and taste. Right. And using publicly available uh, mammoth DNA data, um, they, they filled in all the gaps using modern-day elephant DNA and essentially grew a slab of meat in a lab, which they molded into a meatball, which, as far as I'm aware, nobody has actually eaten any of it for a number of reasons. But um, yeah, it was kind of probably more a show of technology, perhaps a little bit of marketing thing <laughs> going on there as well. But yeah, there's enough science in there and you know scientists putting their name to it to suggest it's, it's legitimate enough basically yeah yeah because we've spoken to colossal biosciences yeah. founder ben lamb who's trying to bring back really mammoths but specifically <laughs> right. not to eat them and yeah. in fact like i i talked to him at south by southwest and that came up because he said we've gotten all kinds of outreach and some people are like oh, well, I want to eat one, so like make me one. And I'm like, of course, of course. That is ex- immediately where I've, I'm assuming billionaires are the people asking about this. And well, they're just like, well, of course I must eat this <laughs> extinct animal. Bring it back so that I can eat it. Well, it, exactly. I mean, it raises all kinds of questions like ethics and environmental and everything. I mean, yeah. as, as you say, there, there, there are companies out there already trying to resurrect an actual mammoth. And there's some of them are saying, I think they might be able to do it within a few years. 2025, I think is what someone said. You know, whether it's actually you can actually call it a mammoth, you know, they're they're using DNA from Asian elephants. I mean, I might not get too picky about that because it, it would be quite cool seeing something that kind of looks like a mammoth roaming around. But right. it raises lots of questions. You know, why bring a long extinct animal back to life? You know, are we going to slaughter them for food? Are we going to put them in a circus? You know, proponents of the de-extinction movement say they're doing it to advance our you know ecological understanding. But you know, yeah, conservation efforts is always what they are talking about right exactly yeah i mean there there may be an element of that too but i i I think probably the reason we're doing all these things is just to see whether we can do it absolutely and i think you know a lot of the reasons they're coming up with to justify are probably they're thinking of ways that don't make them look like you know um, megalomaniacs just crazy crazy scientists (laughs) in a lab you know it really reminds me of that quote from jurassic park i think it was possibly jeff goldblum i'm sure you know the one but (laughs) scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could resurrect a dinosaur they didn't stop to think whether they should. <laughs> right, right. There's probably some comparisons in there too with, uh, you know, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein or something like that. Should we be doing this? But people are doing it, and you know, like we're seeing with the, with the sort of the AI movement now. You know, there's all kind of concerns, ethical concerns about it, but people aren't going to stop doing it. No, it's just, it's going to happen one way or another. And if someone can create a woolly mammoth, they will. And I guess people will probably eat them at some point. Right. <laughs> um, so this has the nice advantage of like. Yeah. Allowing them to satisfy those ap- literal appetites without actually like killing an alive well, animal. Exactly that, and I think that was one of the big reasons for this. You know, I, I mentioned earlier that there was a bit of a marketing quiff about this. You know, the whole concept was devised by a, a creative marketing agency, which sure. is owned by WPP. So there's little doubt that there is a sizable PR element to this uh, for the company behind it. And the way they structured this, you know, using DNA from elephants too, that's it makes it it's a little bit questionable how much of this is really a mammoth. Mm. But there is some legitimate science behind it. And the company's goal was to demonstrate the fact that we can create meat without killing animals. So, you know, I guess what better way to do that than to use an animal that not only hasn't been killed, but well, hasn't existed for, you know, 6,000 years. So I guess from a marketing point of view, it was actually quite genius. It was very effective. 
They did. It is. I mean, we're here talking about it. And I don't know enough about the underlying science to know how legitimate this is as an actual mammoth meatball. I mean, they've constructed a protein from some publicly available data, merged it with some elephant DNA, and they've called it a mammoth meatball. I mean, it's kind of genius, but, you know, I'm I'm not sure it's entirely entirely plausible. But there's a sort of funny backstory to all this as well. Originally, they were planning on recreating a dodo. Sure. No, making a dodo meatball, but they didn't have access to the DNA sequence to uh, required for it. So, you know, so maybe if the dodo had existed on the I don't know the frozen tundra rather than a subtropical island, you know, maybe we'd be here talking about dodo meatballs instead. But that was actually a big challenge because Colossal is bringing back the dodo as well, and they had exactly that, yeah they had that issue with the genome, and then they had a critic reach out and then like explain to them all the reasons why they couldn't do it. But then they ended up bringing her on board to help them actually do it because it like all of these creatures we should specify in this case and in the case of them bringing them back like what they're bringing back is an equivalent it's not actually the yes. thing yeah it, yeah yeah it's yeah. a hodgepodge of things to d- display the characteristics and present externally as that animal right exactly but if, if you put the word equivalent in a headline it's not quite as cool is it so no. yeah, you, <laughs> before you know it, everyone's talking about you know uh, you know people had a lot of fun with the headlines for this one yeah uh, and um, like you say, that they have actually recreated the genome for a dodo using one of the few sort of specimens that, that still exist. So, yeah, you never know. Maybe we will be here in three years' time talking about a dodo meatball. You never know. Yeah. I want to ask, this is the <laughs> most controversial question, but what about a human meatball, Paul? Did you think about it? Did you think about the appetites that dare you not speak what? their name? <laughs> Do you mean creating a meatball out of human meat? Yeah, yeah, we need it. Like, there's got to be a cannibalism market, Paul. There has to be. That's This is immediately where my brain went. <laughs> oh, is that God. a problem? Oh, my word. Um, I mean, that is probably the ultimate ethical question, isn't it? You know, if... <laughs> If no human was damaged in the making of this meatball, you know, is it is it okay to eat? I mean, oh yeah, <laughs> I don't have an See, answer the for mind, that. The mind reels. Well, I think I mean we need to ask these companies. Really, we need to ask the hard questions of these companies. And the the hardest of all is, would you make a human meatball? <laughs> oh, um, it is actually raising lots of other questions. You know, for vegetarians or vegans today who don't eat meat. You know, would they eat meat that was created in a lab setting? Because technically, it wasn't. No animal was was killed in the making of it, and that has actually stoked a lot of um, debates that are related to this. In terms of, you know, is it still an animal? Isn't it still an animal? And would would a true vegan or vegetarian eat something that was grown yeah. in a lab? And a lot of people, a lot of people have said they, they wouldn't. But then a lot of people say that that's you know they're they're taking it to extremes because you know there's nothing ethically wrong with eating something that technically was never alive. Right. It is a very interesting question. It's like. All of these two, you get into this debate about, well, these are, you are creating organisms, right? It's a biological organism. It's not an yeah. animal, but it is living tissue. But yeah. what does that mean, right? And you get so complex in terms of the definitions of like, what is life? And then what is your level of, if you're an ethical vegetarian, right? Like, what is that line? So. Absolutely. It's incredibly complex. Yeah. I mean, these are debates that we'll be having more in the next, in the coming years because cultured meat is coming. Um, yeah. Whether it's, I mean, it, Singapore just now is the only is the only market in the world where you can legally buy it and, 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 and consume it. But the, yeah. And consume it. The Food and Drink Administration in the US recently declared that lab-grown meat was safe to eat. So those approvals will be coming in. So it's mm. we're talking within a year or two, you will be able to eat meat that was grown in a lab. And, you know, that's something that's coming. And I guess we'll start seeing more unique yeah. examples such as the woolly mammoth, which, again, that was pure marketing, I think. But 
there's science behind it and you know they can probably do something that's close to that so it's worked wonders for their for their marketing this week yeah it's a great way to raise visibility about what you're doing like you know regardless of the veracity yeah. of like whether you're actually eating a woolly mammoth no exactly like it's so interesting that it's going from like we're about to move into that space where it's like not it's not philosophical anymore like it's actually a real practical debate all these questions that we're talking about are going to be actually like hashed out in the real world because people are going to start being able to buy and consume yeah. products like this. No, absolutely. And I guess, would you meet growing a lab? Absolutely, I would. Yeah, and I think yeah. I, I've spoken to, I forget what company, there was another company working on a platform approach to this behind the scenes. Like their intent was to work with like Tyson and a lot of the food manufacturers on this. But we talked about, you know, there's no reason to limit it to existing meat types, right? Like at some point you're just like, this isn't cow equivalent or chicken equivalent or whatever. This is like something net new that we've created that has all the specific characteristics desired by the consumer. And it's, you know, you got to come up with, it's not just like protein X, like that's not attractive to a consumer, but. Well, that's happening you know. as well. There are companies that are making hybrid meat products. So like it's actually right. a mixture of plant proteins and meat proteins, bringing the best of both worlds. And it, some companies think they'll be able to get to market quicker and do it at bigger scales. Because one of the biggest problems of lab-grown meat is scaling it and doing it in large enough quantities. So they think by bringing in this, making it hybrid, bringing plant proteins or plant-based food into the mix. So it's a mixture of both is one way to get it to market quicker. Yeah. All right, Paul. Well, there's plenty of exciting things on the horizon here to consider. And a lot of them will be more immediate than when you actually can go to the grocery store and buy a Wilmy Mammoth burger. But that is, (laughs) I I mean, listen, this works so well that doubtless that's going to happen once they get their clearances. They're going to market something that they're like, Mammoth burger. Absolutely. I can see them in the grocery (laughs) aisle already. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like a dodo bolognese or something as well. Yeah. Next, Amanda Silverling is here to talk to us about the dangers of hyper-realistic AI images. Hey, Amanda. Hello. How's it going? It's going well because I'm not living in the timeline in which the Great Cascadia earthquake of 2001 has destroyed the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I mean, I, we're luckily all, I don't think any of us are living in that timeline. I can't speak for all of our listeners, though, so I don't want to make any presumptions, but... That is obviously one of the fake things that happened this week of many. We also had Pope's fly drip. I think those are words that mean something. So yeah, what is happening or what is not happening that is now being passed off as things that are happening? That's a very deep question. <laughs> um, so as AI image generation has gotten better a few weeks ago. Mid-Journey released their newest version, and it's getting better at hands, which means overall some images are appearing more realistic. And the Mid-Journey subreddit has been a hotbed of internet things happening and accidentally going viral. And it's kind of a problem because if you're in the mid-journey subreddit, you know you're in the subreddit for an AI image generator. Sure. So someone who, it turned out that this was a guy that was on shrooms that was just messing around with AI. So this one guy made the Pope wearing a very high fashion Balenciaga-esque coat with like a corseted waist. It's just very like perfectly tailored to him. Mm. Also, like, a big kind of bling, like, 
like cross bling, if you will. Yes. Yeah. So like that went super viral to the point of like, I referenced this in my article. And even afterward, I had people responding to my tweet about the article being like, oh, I thought Balenciaga Pope was real. Right. Yeah. That one, I think I just came across in my explore tab initially or something in Instagram. And I was like, sure, it's real. I don't know. I didn't even like, because there was no consequence in this case, I was just kind of like, oh, that's funny and also cool. And I guess real. But I wasn't like, oh, this existentially challenges my life or something because I have no feelings about the Pope in particular. (laughs) Yeah, like I feel like I saw it and I just kind of scrolled past it. And like I didn't even I didn't even think to myself, the Pope is wearing a really cool jacket. I feel like I just saw the image and just didn't interpret it. Yeah, But I also think like we're so desensitized on the Internet to just seeing absolutely insane things like this is happening at the same time where I'm still reeling from this, but Kanye West no longer hates Jewish people because he really liked Jonah Hill in 21 Jump Street. (laughs) Do you know about this? (laughs) No, no. Yeah, over the weekend, he posted that he doesn't hate Jews anymore. And I'm like, cool, this is great for me personally, but imagine you're Jonah Hill and it's like, wow, the biggest movement to combat anti-Semitism was 21 Jump Street. Right. I guess he's, he's proud, I, I would imagine, would be the emotion, right? Uh. Yeah, but like, <laughs> I guess the, the point of this tangent being, one, I don't know how to feel about this, and mm. two, we see so much weird stuff on the internet all the time that is real that, like, I think Balenciaga Pope became so believable Because people were like, yeah, sure, this is the Pope that has a prog rock album who used to be a bouncer in Argentina. Like, he's a cool dude as far as Popes go. I think that's right. I mean, I guess the problem there is like, what are the ethical feelings about weird corner case stuff like this being passed off as real? On one hand, I could say, oh, the effect is nil, right? Like, Mm because of what you're just talking about. Like, it really has no felt effect on the average person's individual life. But on the other hand, it's like, if like, when 90% of memes about like people doing goofy things or like weird stuff happening ends up being like just totally artificially generated, I feel like, like it's wrong, but I don't know why I feel like that's wrong. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I almost feel like... Ethics aside, just from a pure internet culture standpoint, Mm. it kind of ruins the fun. Oh, yeah. Stuff like Ben Affleck looking really distressed drinking a Dunkin' coffee is funny because it's real. Right. And it's like, damn, we've all been there. Ben Affleck is just like us. Uh I don't know. I mean, there is also, this could have had more severe consequences, but... These images were actually produced by the Bellingcat founder, Elliot Higgins, who you mm. would think should know better, but <laughs> he made images of Donald Trump getting arrested last week on Tuesday when everyone was like, is Trump going to get arrested today? Yeah. Maybe. We'll see. And in his initial tweet, he said like, oh, I'm playing around with this while I wait for the news. And then, of course, they're just going to get taken out of context and people start posting them. And I think something like that is almost less believable because if Trump had been arrested, it would be everywhere. Like, you would not be scrolling through your Twitter and seeing, like, random memes and then, oh, Trump got arrested. Like, that would be just, like, 
the world would implode. Front page news everywhere. But you could also see how it would like be very satisfying to fantasists yeah. who are like conspiracy theorists. They're like, no, they're all trying to suppress it. And luckily these photos are getting out and let's rally around them because mainstream media is trying to keep us in the dark or something, right? So it becomes quite dangerous yeah. quite quickly. Yeah, or like maybe people would see it and think that happened and been like, I'm going to go storm the NY whatever office yeah. would have arrested him. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like already without these AI tools, we have so much misinformation and it's so easy to believe fake things. And then now it's just going to get even easier to believe fake things. Yeah. And people already are not very good at fact checking. It kind of also ties in with what's going on at Twitter with removing legacy verification. So like people like you and me will lose our blue checks over the weekend, which, you know, we will survive. Oh, speak for yourself. I don't know. <laughs> That's my entire value. <laughs> <laughs> there are mechanisms that internet platforms can take to make it more obvious what news is real or not. Mm -hmm. But also we are in a timeline where in the Trump presidency, he led people to question what is news and what isn't news anyway. And then you have right. like, it's going to be so easy to impersonate people on Twitter and everything is imploding. Yeah. I mean, because you brought up Goncharov, right? As like a, oh, yeah. a good intro <laughs> example. And like Goncharov <laughs> doesn't make use of this AI stuff, but you can see how things like that become more powerful when paired with these other new technologies, I'm thinking just of the Shazam movie, which is kind of a precursor to Gunshra, right? Like not the actual movie Shazam, like the Sinbad Shazam that is completely invented as a hallucinatory shared dream that we have about Sinbad. The comedian being a genie. I didn't know about and people that. are like, remember that movie? And it's like, no, that movie didn't exist. There was a movie called Kazam that had Shaq as a genie, but people have all <laughs> transpose this on this other thing that doesn't exist. Interesting. Uh, but it's very yeah. similar to Gunstrap, which is like a movie supposed to be Martin Scorsese's sort of lost mafia movie or oft ignored mafia movie, but does not exist at all, right? Yeah, like a couple months ago, this was just a Tumblr meme that blew up way beyond Tumblr where it was just that like somebody got some kind of like weird mislabeled like, I don't know, so some kind Blue of... leg DVD or something? No, it was like a pair of shoes oh. that said Goncharov by Martin Scorsese. <laughs> and then just a random person posted it and was like, why does this say this? Like, it was just some, like, very strange, like, I don't know where it's from, but everything exists. Who knows? And then from there, people were like, but what if Goncharov by Martin Scorsese did exist? Right, but right. then because it's Tumblr and people act like they do on Tumblr... Everyone was just kind of pretending that Goncharov was real and then created this entire mythology around it. And I compared that to what's going on with AI because the same thing was happening on the Midjourney subreddit where, as I referenced in my very normal intro, the Great Cascadia Earthquake of 2001. That is a thing that did not happen. Yeah. But people generated images on Midjourney and posted them on Reddit and created this whole, like, backstory of this massive, devastating earthquake in the Pacific Northwest, and how did that impact, like, the reaction after 9-11, because that would have happened a few months before 9-11, mm -hmm. and how did that impact, like, the U.S. involvement in Iraq and Afghanistan, and, like, people are just making this whole, like, historical mythology, and, like, they know that they're in on the joke, but... 
Once it escapes the bounds of that community, then it's totally, it's a free-for-all, right? Yeah. So it's like the ARG phenomena, right? But like made so much more tactile and like real and potentially confusing like to people now and to people I think maybe in future like it depends on how tangled this gets but you can see the historical record eventually being like muddied with these things which are like was this an mm-hmm. actual event or a pseudo event that was like one of these types of things right yeah I mean especially a lot of people on the internet I hate to break it to us <laughs> there's a lot of people that are adults that were born after 9-11 right and if something feasibly happened before you were alive or like conscious of what was going on around you you could feasibly be like oh yeah there was a big earthquake yeah. and i don't remember it because i was in the womb yeah like the famous <laughs> 1990s movie about sinbad as a genie <laughs> called Shazam, which does See, not See, I thought you were saying that that would be a movie about the music identifying software Shazam. No, I know. And that's on an additional level. There's so many levels of confusion now because <laughs> then that mo- that software came out and then also a real movie called Shazam came out, which was unrelated to this fictional movie that everybody, I guess, mass hallucinated. <laughs> it was very bizarre. It's a very, it's one of the, yeah. there's a few things of these mass hallucination things, like the Berenstein Bears is the other one, yeah. right? Yeah, you can see how, like, it honestly starts to become just even more difficult to parse out, especially as you're you're talking about for people who lack that, like, actual historical, like, lived context, right? Where they're like, all I have is the attestations of the internet. And if Reddit communities or micro communities or whatever, like, snowball these things up and then they get mass purchase, it starts to become, like, honestly really tricky to say what was the actual historical record and what's the part that's sort of been fictionalized since. Yeah, and I think the distinction is with something like Goncharov, it is in a sense a collective hallucination, but it's very easy to figure out that there's a whole joke element to yes, it. Yes. And even though the way people talk about Goncharov, it's like you're not supposed to be like, haha, this fictional movie. You're supposed to be like, oh yeah, I watched Goncharov this weekend. It was yeah. just It has to be a hundred percent credulous. Yeah. That's part of the, the gag. Yeah. But like you can pretty easily figure out that it's not real. <laughs> yeah, with a little digging. Yeah, but uh, yeah. And, and I think even now for the Great Cascadia Earthquake and such, and like a lot of these photos, you can too if you do a little effort, but it's a matter of like who will go to that extent, especially when the immediate evidence is so convincing, right? Like the immediate evidence is not somebody yeah. told you something. It's like a what looks like a real photograph, a documentary evidence mm-hmm. of the event. Yeah, and I think there's still some ways where you can see when something is off in an AI-generated image. Like, I mean, the hands were a big go-to before, but now mid-journey's getting better at hands. Still not perfect at hands, yeah. but hands. There's writing. Yeah, that's right. Any, like, printed text or anything like that. Yeah, like, any printed text kind of looks like it's written in, like, a fake version of English. Or, like, yeah, like, the language, uh, the common universal language in Star Wars, which I forget what it's called, mm-hmm. but, it, you know, it's all over everything. And it's, like, it looks like a weird little hieroglyph, and you're like, I can kind of recognize letters, but it's not really yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, our AI overlords are catching up with us, and, yeah. Look at the hands. Yeah. That's what I have to say. Look at the hands. <laughs> That's the motto of humanity going forward. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amanda. Well, we will continue to look at the hands. Thank you very much for joining us. And I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Yep. Cool. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining us. You can read all of the stories we talked about at techcrunch.com. 
Also, I'm going to TechCrunch Early Stage in Boston. That's happening on April 20th. So come out and join me and save yourself some money by using the code TCPOD, all one word, for a 40% discount on founder and investor passes for the event. That's again on April 20th, and we'll be there live and in person recording an episode of Found, one of the other podcasts here on the TechCrunch Network. And as always, don't miss the other TC podcasts, including Equity, Chain Reaction, and the TechCrunch Live podcast. We'll see you next week. The TechCrunch podcast is hosted by myself, managing editor Daryl Etherington. We're produced by Maggie Stamitz with editing by Kel. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovit manages TechCrunch's audio products. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.